Podcast ain't played nobody. It's a sh- we we're gonna rule out Shacket. Um, so the two <laughs> most popular answers were quarter zip. Don't like that one. And pullover, which to me feels too generic. But yeah, uh, what I learned was. Uh, one, this was by far the most passionate and vocal uh, <laughs> correction segment we've ever had on podcasting Play Nobody. And then also, there's no real good name for these things. Yeah, so yeah, the, the answers were basically two categories. Um, and if you didn't listen to last week's episode, you know, it doesn't matter. You, the shame! Is, it's really not worth trying to re-explain this. But just know that if you did listen to last week's episode... Uh, and you were driving in your car yelling at us saying, it's a pullover. It's called a pullover. It's it, not, though. You weren't I mean, alone. Some people don't call it that at all. The quarter zip thing al- just doesn't. I, that is the most accurate description. Yeah, and I folks. assumed that was the one you were going for. Because that's what like that's what coaches DM'd me. So well, I no, think no, that that's was. That's what the damn thing is. That's what they call it. But, yes, meanwhile, uh, we were getting passionately yelled at by people who, can't, who, pullover, who couldn't believe it. Pullover feels too generic. Okay. Is a sweater not a pullover, or is it just a sweater? When is a sweater not a sweater, and when does it become a pullover? This is Podcast Ain't Play. Sorry. Um, You can't do it. (laughs) Uh, Only I can wield the soul stone. Yep, yep. Um, We're going to make a ruling before we start the show. (laughs) Okay. I like pullover, but to Mm -hmm. me, feels more accurate. By the way, someone said you don't own any Patagonia. I do. I have. First off, come on. <clears throat> I may be counterculture, but I did go to Ole Miss. I mean, you know, some of it, some of it seeps in, even when you fight it. Um, my wife has so much Patagonia from when she was at Ole Miss, and I asked her, I was like, "Do you? Is it like a brand loyalty thing?" North Face too, and she's like, "No, I just ended up with it. I think they just mail it to you if you go to Ole Miss." Um, I, I think we're gonna have to go quarter zip. <laughs> okay. But those of you who said that, oh, you can't be the nation's number one fans of the Mountain West and not own a bunch of Patagonia, sir, I own Patagonia. Just a little bit. I have one of these. This is how this whole damn thing started, was I have one of these things that wasn't given to us by the greatest conference in America, the Mountain West, uh, but just a plain black, solid black Patagonia thing where it like, zips down to like your sternum. Um. But it's it's made for colder weather, and it wasn't that cold in San Antonio, so I wore my awesome Mountain West Greatest Conference in America pullover quarter zip quarter zip quarter zip just doesn't sure. it doesn't flow, Bill. Well, I think what those are we two options. I gotta start the show. We're f- we're four minutes in, so what are we doing here? Um, I, I mean, just there's two of us. We are antisocial, both of us, and so too many people yelled at me that it's a pullover. It's I, I so I'm gonna say quarter zip. All right. Plus, we were talking about AFCA yes! especially. Yes! This podcast ain't played nobody. It's college football, marriages of numbers and words. Whew. Clearing the register. That's the robot Bill Connolly. You can reach him at SBN underscore Bill C. He's the inventor and proprietor of the S&P Plus analytics system. He's the author of multiple uh, funny books. Not funny books. Those are comic books. There's no illustrations at all in your books, which is something that you should have probably done. They're just plain old books. They have football numbers and words in them. Um, you can find them at the Amazons.com. You can find them at the brick-and-mortar stores, pa, probably maybe. Um, and then Bill can also probably sign that bad boy for you if you ever run into him in DM public. Me. Go to go to Columbia. Try and find his house. It's just, fine. Or, okay? or just drop my me name a is, Twitter DM. That's fine, too. My name is Stephen Godfrey, and I can't wait to hate your team for nine months. Uh, we are in 
the offseason. Officially. None of this uh, fading light luster of a national championship. No coaching events to go to. This is a dead ass. All right? That, that, your hindquarters are completely numb. Welcome to Carbonite. This is when we shine, baby. I hope. I'm excited. That's a, that's, that's a high bar, but I hope so. Every year we shine. I love the offseason. The offseason lets you pontificate, uh, allows you some perspective, allows me to get on the phone with coaches for much, much longer. Yeah. Much longer. What's funny is here's, here's um, everybody gather around, take a knee. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little behind the scenes action. You get more done with coaches now in like post conference championship weekend through, let's say, like Valentine's Day than you will all season. Because uh, coaches will pick up the phone every single time you call because they think that you have information about another job, <laughs> another coach, or a recruit. Or a recruit, right. Right. And they don't really have anything to do. And in most of the guys that I'll talk to would be like kind of weighing job options, just keeping an ear out while simultaneously sitting in some staff meeting. And they don't really know why they're sitting in it. It's even better now because most of the good schools have signed the majority of their class. So everybody's just kind of standing around. You get whatever you want out of a coach right now. Which um, stinks because I'm not ready yet. Like I haven't prepped my feature stuff for the offseason. So well, they I don't end know up what they're talking to... about. I promise. Ooh. Well, I know, but I don't know what to talk about either. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta take some time. By the way, um, well, this is just—it's all gossip right now. They don't even want to talk ball. Okay, well, that's not really—that's not. They just that's want not to gossip about other people. Oh, that's just this is where I live, baby. By the way, uh, there was one momentous thing that happened on Monday of this week, and that is, as I tweeted out, I created the 2019 folder for everything that will happen. Uh, including previews, the preview file itself that I use for all my stuff is about eh, about seventy five percent ready. So I'm ready. I might just start the previews early anyway. Like, well, Bowling Green on Monday, just because. Why not? Where are the independents this year? Because we used to start with Army, and they're real good. So what are you going to do? Well, no, I mean, I always I because Notre Dame is always the headliner uh, independent because they are the honorary P five. Although they didn't really, you know. Look you know, at don't la- don't look you think? Time we uh, saw don't, don't you honestly think that Army would have scored more points than Notre Dame against Clemson? Uh, sure, they also baby! they also would have Notre Dame is back. They also would have given up about seventy-eight points, but um, no, they would not. No, they would not. They would. You think Army would have given up seventy-eight <laughs> to Clemson? Well, no, that would require eleven possessions. I guess exactly. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, they're gonna lose that game. But it's going to be like 28 to 10. Okay? Anyway, I don't know what you're talking about, how we used to always start with independence. Because as far as I can remember, what I've always done is started with the worst conference from last year, worked my oh, way yeah, through the mid-majors, right, right. yeah, then yeah. done independence, then done P, the P5. So, yes, the, the countdown begins with Bowling Green, uh, probably the Monday before early signing day, uh, like the, the day after the Super Bowl, basically. Um, and so we're going to... That's that's when it starts. Off season's almost over, so Bowling you know. Bowling Green, um, for a fact, Army would have done much better against Clemson than Notre Dame did. For a fact. Yeah, I mean Clemson. Uh, Dabo respects those troops too. So I mean, God, I love the off season. Look, I mean, I'm I'm out here just I'm walking into the gym just trying to jerk 450 off the rack. Hadn't even warmed up yet. It's beautiful. Love the off season, Bill. We're going to take some questions. We're going to scrape the Ask, P- Ask PAPN 
uh, from Reddit and Twitter. We didn't solicit this week because we've, we've had a pretty steady backlog. Yep. Uh, we're also going to talk about the top 100 um, because last week we did have the national championship game. We did have the AFCA stuff. We did have coaching news, which is starting to slow down unless you work for the or used to work for the University of Alabama. Um, we we wanted to give the top 100 its its proper shine, its proper moment. Um, how many years have you done this one? It's uh, not as old as the previews. No. Previews started in 2011. My bet is that we started this after either the 2012 or 2013 season. And it was really basically just like on a whim after the season, I had an idea for ranking games. Then, of course, I turned it into a me thing and, and like listed out like, oh, the top 20 games of the year. Well, crap, I just listed 137. How about we do a top 100 list? And that's basically how it started. And then yeah. after like the first year or so, we started. we got programmer help for it to make it all pretty. Uh, this year, I think, might be the – the prettiest of all i'm not i'm not that's those are lofty words but i really like this year's it's very it's very nimble it's very sleek so the merit of the numbers is something that you play with a lot on the top 100 and that you first off we don't vote this isn't something like we turn that one idle post on SB Nation about our watchability rankings in the bowl no. i just did that to piss bill off for like a month straight but this is not any kind of committee you come up with the list yes um I take feedback. Gave, I take feedback. Yeah, yeah. No, you gave us a rough list, and then I, there was a little bit of input, and then you kind of, you know, retooled a couple things, but not much. And then we all uh, volunteered to take different games that we liked, give them quick blurbs, just to kind of spice it up, put multiple voices in there. Um, you don't you you put things in batches sometimes in the rankings. Mm -hmm. So if you're reading this, don't think of it one as any kind of vote or metric. It's it is at the top. I think. I think this is me speaking for you. I think you, you look at some of the major instantly memorable games and say, "This one was amazing. This one was amazing. This one, you know, great narrative." And then you kind of. I, I think I can see you ranking those in how you actually would put one in front of the other by worth or merit or value. But then when we get into like the '60s or the '80s, like you have a block in this one about bowl finishes. Right. So explain a little bit how you come up with these numbers because. I have seen people say, like, well, why was this only 34? And I'm like, okay, you are automatically reading too much into this. Yeah, so basically the way I've, I've come to do it, and obviously it changes, but the best approach for me basically is, is going through, I'll go team by team and just kind of quickly scroll through the schedule, see what I remember and all that. But basically I'll end up with approximately three categories. One is, like, potential top 10. One is potential top, like, I don't know, 30-ish. And then one is just basically good and might get mentioned. Because, I mean, here's the secret. After about 30, 40 games, there are, you know, that, th those other 60 spots or so could be filled by any of about 200 games. And so it ends up being as much about, like, the story I want to tell as anything else. Um, so I did get some pushback about why wasn't, you know, this Minnesota game mentioned and all this stuff. I think that was cause I got a lot of Minnesota feedback. I think the Minnesota football account tweeted it out cause they had a couple games in there. So I got more feedback from them, but yeah, basically after about the top 20 or so, maybe top 30, it becomes as much about just telling the story of the season as it does specific games. Uh, one thing I did this year, partially like, you know, when we were in kind of the full on the grips of this season sucked mode. Um, you know, towards we when, said it, was chalky. Just, when chalky. it was at its chalkiest, um, 
is when I it was right around there when I started trying to put preliminarily put the list together because if you'll notice this went out like two days after I got back from it like the day after I got back from AFCA there was a quick turnaround on this bad boy um so I mean I was doing a lot of prep work and whatnot but basically I saw I got a little scared like oh god uh, am I gonna be able to talk about 100 games here <laughs> like it, I was kind of over in my head I was overreacting because obviously there were still a lot of good games this year whether it was chalky or not but one thing I did that I should have done years ago was I solicited um nominees for small school games of the year i never included them before because i figured like i can't just take a i can't make a list because i'll you know i don't i didn't follow every single fcsd 2d3 and naia game believe it or not um so i kind of had my list and then i just uh, for whatever reason i it took me years to realize well if you just solicited twitter twitter will do a lot of the work for you in that regard so i got Amen. a lot i got a lot of i got enough nominations i was like well hell i want to make a top 100 small school games of the list but I, I i i refrained i made it 15 basically then so the number what is it 31 through 40 games on this list this year were fcs so number one was the crazy kennesaw state jacksonville state game uh Montana Montana State beating Montana because Montana fumbled at the goal line on like the last play of the game. That was big. Holy Cross over Georgetown, that crazy San Diego Davidson game. So 10, 10 FCS games. And I really enjoyed that because it, it, I, th- I thought it added a little bit of life in there. You know, there was less redundancy, a lot more teams right. involved. But then I also later, like early in the countdown, like 81 through 85, I believe, I included five below FCS games as well. And I really could have done about 10 or 15 of those too. Um, But like the uh, Mankato, Minnesota State Mankato versus Tarleton State D2 playoff game where Mankato embarks on a 27 play drive to score. um, That was on there. Uh, the Valdosta State Ferris State D two final game was on there. Uh, Mary Hart and Baylor picking off two passes at the goal line late in the quarterfinals against St. John's Minnesota was on there. Um, so like I, I so basically it was eighty five FBS games at that point, and then fifteen small school games. And I thought that really, I thought that 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 added a certain level of quality to to the list. And I was happy I did that, and I'll be doing that from now on. Um, do you want to go? Through all 100, how would you like to do this? Because uh, we know. didn't talk about it before we went on the air. Yeah, 100 a lot. Um, Actually, let me back up. Who, who, or what other than Minnesota was the most pissed off? I'm trying to like I. The, the other thing it's is kind like, of nobody, a chill year, right? Right. Like nobody can be too pissed off because you are basically saying like my game was easily my team's game was easily the 99th best of the year. Like that that doesn't carry a lot of weight. It's hard to get too emotionally invested in that. But right. so I, I don't think there were, um, yeah, I, I think that was basically like, uh, and a bunch of Minnesota fans wanted the the Wisconsin game on the list just because they beat the dog crap out of Wisconsin. Of course, that's not going to make the list. Although the first two games on the list, 199 were both blowouts. Uh, Purdue 49-20 over Ohio State and Clemson 44-16 over Alabama because, I mean, they were the two most momentous games of the year, even if they were both over in the fourth quarter. Right. No, that makes sense. I mean, you do shy away from a lot of games that I personally. My only, it's not, it's not even a contention. It's just that when I see these year after year, I'm looking at it through the prism of usually, hey, does this affect a job, or is this <laughs> going to change an athletic director or coach's life for the for the extreme positive or the extreme negative? You know, I'm the one who who festers on like, oh, it's an anxiety bowl when the right. game actually sucks. Um, so a lot of times I'll see those and think, wow, it's not there. That's 
oh, okay, that was monumental and that it caused this, this, and this to happen, but you know, it may have not actually made the list. And I believe you pushed back on ANMLSU being number one, if I recall correctly. <sighs> what did I want number one to be? I think it was Alabama, Georgia you wanted number one. Yes, I did. Yes, okay. absolutely. Absolutely. I just and wanted to swap fun. them. I didn't want to move. I didn't want to like dethrone ANMLSU. It was just more like, you do love an overtime. Like, finishes and weird overtime is the, it's just sort of your soft spot. Yeah. And I mean, here, look, look. Because uh, didn't the uh, Arkansas Ole Miss Hunter Henry play oh, game? Well, make, that wasn't, wasn't, that that wasn't the fact that it went to overtime. It was that that was the craziest play any of us will see. <laughs> Uh, this decade. But yeah, I mean, basically the thing about it is like low scoring games can get on the list, obviously, but the more overtimes you have, the more scores you have, the more times you have, this is a giant storytelling device. And so the more scores you have, the more plot twists are available. And I mean, A&M, LSU just have the most plots. Like I have, like, I don't know, third or fourth overtime. I was like, man, I just want to go to bed. You know, I, I, I was not enjoying myself at that point. But by the end, when it finally ended and you could reflect on it, I'm like, it was just the the number of plots in that game going back to regulation uh, with a couple of the controversial calls and Edo getting the Gatorade bath. And then seven, and then like an hour and a half of football was played after that. Like, I do think, I, I very much think that that game is the marriage of both of those requirements and that you're looking for game quality and I'm looking for narrative because that. That game will echo. I'm not trying to be that dramatic, but that game has a lot of impact and has and and will reverberate throughout the offseason because well, of those two teams, because of what's going on at AM right now with yeah, Jimbo. And it really, honestly, I I do think, and I don't really think I'm being hyperbolic here, you saw uh, <clears throat> a, a rivalry established mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, if you ask people in East Texas and South Louisiana, there's a a consciousness of one another that, that predates A&M coming to the SEC, but not like this. Right. You know, they, they had a series in the when Slocum was there, I believe. And, you know, it, it had its moments, but it wasn't this. So now I think you're seeing the birth of a great rivalry. Yeah, and it, what's funny is I almost – the rivalry thing, yes, but like the fact that it wasn't going to reverberate it was part of the reason I was initially considering – having Alabama Georgia number one because it didn't have, you know, national title implications or and all these other things. But when AM turned around and destroyed NC State in the bowl and you started to realize, oh God, this is gonna be like a borderline preseason top ten team next year, isn't it? Um that's when it like I do think this game, just the simple fact that they won, um, and they were able to finish the the year on whatever it was, a four game winning streak. I think that will end up having implications on how we're reviewing the 2019 season uh, approaching. Absolutely. And that's, that's silly because, I mean, they were one play away from losing and it shouldn't next year, next year's team isn't a, it won't be impacted by this specific play in the 12th game of the year or whatever, but it'll have a massive impact on the narrative, whether it should or not. Oh, I definitely think there's a psychology at play here. Um, I'm not saying it's valid, but we would tell you guys listening, don't put stock in this. It was a bowl game, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, or not a bowl. I'm sorry. It was an isolated game that right. you know, don't worry about it. it. It didn't have any stakes. There's a never ending referendum on Ed Orgeron as LSU's head coach. <laughs> Up until that moment, you think about what you think, what they were on the cusp of, if he's not down on the, on the fourth down play. Think about that. Like that would have been how many regular season wins for LSU? Uh, what did they end it, up with? Not let's see. Oh, they they would have ended the season. They with ended ten, 10 and regular. three. So yeah, they would have been yeah. ten and two. 
So you would have had an 11 win season on, uh, you know, right after most people in the media, most people in the country in the talk show fodder, like had Ed Orgeron being fired possibly mid season this past year. <laughs> that was a thing guys. We were really, really hard on that one. A lot of people were. And so to go from that to, to, to hit 11, to be so like respectable against Alabama, I know that's not what the result they want, but it's, you, it's hard to argue the way that they, they do a lot of things right, especially Dave Aranda against Alabama. It would have, I mean, it, it still is a fantastic argument against anything you might think about Ed Orgeron or what LSU can do or be, blah, blah, blah. But God, if they win that game, and instead it swerves to the point where I think you've, you've really created a, a bit of a monster and a, and a psychological barrier to a lot of people now who are looking at A&M as legit for the first time ever. <laughs> and if you're well, mad... 2013, you're, they were pretty legit, but since then, yeah. So, okay, so you, you took me exactly where I wanted to go. <laughs> um, if you get offended by me saying ever, and I'm, by the way, ever uh, in the SEC, not ever in history, um, a lot of people didn't buy the Manziel era at all. Beating Alabama, uh, going to the, I think they went to the Cotton one year. It, it was great and it was exciting, but no one looked at what was going on there with that staff at that time and said, that's a recipe for sustained success. They thought, wow, those guys have lightning right now and they're hot. And there's a massive difference in coaching circles and the industry. That proved to be true. Um, this is way different. If people are legitimately buying stock into the fact that Jimbo is going to establish some, a, a, a level of consistency and quality at A&M. That changes a lot about the SEC. I do think it was uh, kind of proof of concept for him just in terms of needing a little new energy and hiring a new staff and getting a fresh well, start. Well, I mean, I think, he... I, I, you know, it's funny because where is, uh, I mean, the other game on this list that we talk about when I instantly think about this season, especially now after the national championship, is the Clemson game. Right? I mean, that was right. absolutely... I still think... People laugh at me. People at A&M laughed at me when I said that's that was the most important loss that you've ever had. And I, I think it's completely true now, especially because now they can say, you know, we hung with the national champions in a way that, that Alabama didn't. So, um, <laughs> it wasn't Chris, a great... they didn't hang with Alabama. <laughs> it wasn't a great year. Like... Just when you take the record and you look at it and and you look statistically, and you, I, I, there's nothing on paper that says that, that that reinforces why people are so over the moon right now about Texas A&M. But that's that's a part of this sport that I think is super unique. Um, everyone is over the moon about A&M because of those performances in those games. And I mean, yeah, they probably should have lost to to LSU. LSU was probably the better team, right? It was a hell of a lot closer than than LSU wants to admit, but you know some weird stuff happens at the end, and then in overtime, I think it, there's just so much emotion and unpredictable. I mean, the, the format, the actual football structure of overtime, it doesn't allow for anything to get consistent or settle or calm. That's what coaches will tell you. That's what players will tell you. Is that because you're starting essentially every play is is a, is is a what thirty some odd yard? Where, where do you where do you put the damn ball in overtime? Twenty five. Yes, I was about to say 35, and I knew that wasn't right. Sorry. Um, when you start in that area, and then you flip around and you're on defense in that area, it, it's just a heightened sense because it's overtime. And so no one was able to calm down. No one was able to settle. And then you saw that that moment. You saw that 
I hate to say this, but it is a poise that Jimbo has in those situations. I mean, they were calling great plays. They were throwing the ball amazing. They were catching the ball amazingly. Like, it's weird as 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 that game became so outlandish, you really started to see the future of AM. Well, I think the throwing and catching were better than the plays. The plays themselves, it seemed like they were in passing downs at all times and then and then Mond would Yeah, but it was out. working. Well, sure, but in a in a it, they were playing with fire in that game. There's no question. LSU was like the more stable team. You play that out a lot of times. They're going to win more often than not. But um, yeah. what's funny, though, is it is we're going to find out pretty clearly how people come up, how, how publications and whatnot come up with their top 25 rankings for the year. Because if it's based purely on potential and, and quality, and that's how I'm going to judge it. That's I, I don't look at schedules when I'm I, – I, I do power rankings, quote-unquote. Um if, if people do it like that, we'll be able to tell because A&M will be pretty high. And then if people look at the schedule and try to project records out and figure out at the end of the year who's going to be in the national title race, well, Clemson's schedule that features at Clemson on September 7th, Auburn September 21st, Alabama October 12th, at Ole Miss, at Georgia, at LSU. Um, top 10 teams going to go about 8-4 and four with that schedule. So um, we'll be able to tell pretty clearly. If, you're, if they're in the top 10, you're probably basing it on potential. And if they're more like 20th or 25th, it's because you glanced at their schedule and went, holy crap. Could be the most passionate uh, honeymoon of the offseason. Could, <laughs> could also be the shortest lived well, yeah, because I mean, of everything that you just said. And, I mean, there is something else going on here, too. Sometimes in your first or second year, when you're working with somebody else's recruits who are open to change and who are – you're kind of having to improvise what, you're, what you believe in a little bit to get the most, uh, uh, most results out of it, you can catch lightning in a bottle. Kevin Sumlin, after all, 2013 was Kevin Sumlin's first year. It was also yeah. his best year at A&M. 2014 was slightly worse. 2015 was slightly worse. 2016 was slightly worse. So, so Jimbo still has a lot to prove here, and he did run out of steam at Florida State by far. He had plenty of other things like on and off the field there were, there was a lot going on but he still undoubtedly ran out of steam over the last five years so he has to prove that new staff new blood new recruiting energy and all that that he can maintain that um because sometimes you just do for whatever reason like the tidbit butt always throws out about how like most coaches if you're going to win the national title you've done so within your first three years dabbo aside um you know, that's kind of a short window and and it reminds everybody how hard it is to maintain a program and, and b- maintain an, an upward trajectory as Georgia kind of found out over the last couple of months. Um, it's really hard to keep pushing that boulder up the hill, but he did a hell of a job at the end of his first year. No question. Beautiful transition there, my friend. Um, so to talk about the Georgia Alabama game for a second, I made the argument that it should be number one before the national championship. Well, yeah, I mean, the list was established well before the title game. So, I don't know if I would make that argument now. Eh, I'm, I, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm fine, borderline indifferent um, with your number one. And we just talked about it. And I, like I said, if I had to put together an argument for it, I could definitely do it. Um, I, I do think some of the narrative on the SEC championship game was lost when Alabama was not beaten. But but humbled, um, yeah. I guess. But the I don't Jalen think it, Hurts it, it, thing. It, look, it's no balm for Georgia fans, right? No, the Jalen Hurts thing was still the Jalen Hurts thing, and um, yeah, 
That's true. And it kind of closed the loop with the, the with the way January began with Alabama, Georgia, and Jalen Hurts getting benched. Him coming off the bench. That that's still massive Hollywood level narrative right there. And that's why it almost that's why I almost put it number one. Yeah, I just for and you're you're absolutely right. It's just when I look at that game, I do the so normally we just like with the national title game with so many other things, we we look at everything through the prism of Alabama. Did Alabama win or did Alabama lose this game? You know, we never look at what the other team was doing. And a lot of Clemson fans right now are pissed off by the, by the context in which we're talking about the national title game. And I totally get it. Um, but this is a game. I can only think about Georgia. I just <laughs> like, it's just, I, I'm just hung up on the Georgia part of it because it was so brutal. I can't get over it. Um, I, I just think there's something worse and, and, and more humbling by, by that second one, than even the national title. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It's 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 hard to rank horrible horrible feelings, but <laughs> um, also very state of Georgia. It, it really was so say so. God, oh, and God. it was it was funny too. Like we were saying about narratives, you know, pushing the boulders up hills and whatnot. Like they're heading into 2018. There was no doubt in any of our mind that within three or four years, Kirby would have them. Would have a ring, right? I mean, that was just kind of like they 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 made it so far that second year, and now look what they've got back. They just signed the greatest recruiting class of all time, and da 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 da, and uh, it looked inevitable. Now it's still likely. It's still extremely likely that he's just going to keep getting things better. Because among other things, I know like people are are focused on how many players Georgia lost to the draft. I noticed. Um, but uh, now you get the second year fruits of that 2018 recruiting class labor. <laughs> like that, like they're not, they're not going to drop off next year. They're just not going to. And now you don't have this weird quarterback situation where you're sacrificing plays to get your five star blue chip freshman involved when you don't want to actually have him do anything except run zone read, which was infuriating. Um, now you can maybe actually. T- I think the way the year ended probably helps them, but it hurts, of course, the 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 the, the narrative uh, that we've that word we've said a lot today. Um, it hurts them in that regard because nothing seems inevitable anymore. But it probably helps them because now they get to work a little harder in the off season and they get to uh, step back and realize like they're going to figure out how to relax. They're going to, their expectations are yeah. going to be down a hair. They're going to relax and they're probably going to be really, really, really good next year. Um. Before we move on, I'm going to do the top 25, okay? Sure. Figured that would be fitting for the show. Um, and obviously, if you haven't checked it out, just go go look at it. Don't focus so much on the numbers, even though we're about to do it. Like, like it is a ranking. It's more of a composite. It's a suggestion. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, number 25. Oh, look. It's Missouri. Uh, Missouri 40, Purdue 37. That's back in September Number 24 from opening weekend, a game you and I watched together, Penn State, 45, App, 38. Um, number 23, Eastern Michigan, 28, Toledo, 26. Hell yeah. uh, number 22, Baylor, 45, Vanderbilt, 38. Very high up there for one of the exciting bowl games. It was really exciting, though. Um, 21, Oklahoma State, 38, Texas, 35. Just so I had that game pretty inevitable. like a lot lower, and then when I wrote it up, I, I remembered just how fun the Gundy Herman yeah. squabble was at the end. I'm like, oh man, that's got to go in the top 25, and I bumped it up. I mean, is that game not appointment viewing now? If you have no stake what or interest yeah. whatsoever in the Big 12, I think you have to you have to tune in for <laughs> Oklahoma State and Texas, especially if Texas is on a winning streak. Um, 
Number 20, Miami 28, Florida State 27. I think this game got no shine this year. Yeah, I think I, Miami, I, I, think I would be shocked the if way, people would remember. Yeah, the, the way both teams ended their season, it probably did. I mean, a giant comeback in, in, in a huge rivalry game, you would have figured that would have been top 10. And maybe it should have been, but I think just – it's kind of like it's hard to get energized talking about either one of these teams and the the way their teams played last year. Uh, by the way, if you don't remember, Florida State led was it in the fourth? No, it was in the third, third. quarter. They were yeah. up twenty seven seven. Um, that's oh, written right here. Yeah, and Nikosi Perry, um, uh, his shiny moment brings the oh, oh hold on, what was the uh, his like he he led a dramatic comeback in his passing line in that game was it was. Something hilariously terrible. It was with a comeback included. He was thirteen for thirty-two, for two hundred four yards and four touchdowns. <laughs> Just the weirdest game. Four of his four. He completed forty-one percent of his passes, and four of the thirteen were touchdowns. I would like to predict. In no this this is no animosity or anything. You, you know Manny pretty well. Obviously, I've known Willie for a long time. I think the uh, swapping swapping Mark Richt for Manny. Um, this rivalry could get. A little bit more salty, a little saltier. Yeah, there's only Manny, so much salt you can have when Mark Richt is involved. I guess that's what I'm saying. I think Manny ain't scared of up in the um, the dialogue. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, he is he's a politician's son. Like he's he's always got that in him a little bit. But I think he understands the how how a, how a stoked rivalry can help everyone involved. Oh, believe me, this is the game, and this rivalry still matters a ton. This is the game they're pissed off they didn't win in, in Tallahassee oh, more yeah. than any other. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Number 19, SMU 31, Navy 30, also back in September. You probably don't remember. Uh, segwaying in, of course, you put in your top 25, you yeah. put two Navy games. Of course yeah. you did. Um, <laughs> was, that's what I do. I, like I said, I have them kind of clustered, and then I figure out how, how I can lump them together. And, and unfortunately, in this case, it meant back to back. Two point conversion, one loss point, or uh, one point losses for Navy. You weirdo. Um, Tulane twenty nine, Navy twenty eight is number eighteen. That was Thanksgiving week. God, that probably, was a great game. Uh, probably another game that you guys didn't see or don't remember. Yeah, the short, the very short version for that game is you know how Tulane won their bowl and they're on a great trajectory again. If they lose to Navy, they don't make a bowl. Uh, they were up. Uh, what, 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 they were up twenty one six. Navy charges back. Suddenly, Navy's ahead 28-21. Um, and then late in the game, they score. They go for two. They win. They make a bowl. They win the bowl. So on and so forth. Uh, moving on. 17. Yeah. Uh, Virginia Tech 34. Virginia 31. Obviously, rivalry cruel, game. Rivalry week. Cruel, cruel, brutal, cruel. Brutal, man. Game. <laughs> Jeez. Absolutely brutal. Um, not much more to say about it, though. Yep. Number 16, uh, you probably saw this on Twitter or YouTube or Instagram. Uh, or, and we reacted to it at the time, too. Yeah. Uh, Old Dominion 37, Western Kentucky 34. That was on October 20th. That was just sort of the ending. That's that's the thing that you remember. Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen it and you don't know what we're talking about, I'm not going to tell you. I want you to go <laughs> to the top 100 because we have it embedded in there or just find it on social media. Old Dominion, Western Kentucky. That's all. Just Google that. Number 15, <laughs> I forgot that we used the Booger McFarland tweet here. Oh. Uh, Oklahoma 59, this West, ain't Virginia, football. West Virginia 56 from Thanksgiving week. Um, 
That was pushing it for me. I've talked about this a lot. Like I enjoy shootouts, and again, for the yeah. purposes of this list, that, it was a lot, dude. That, that there was a lot of plot twists and stuff like that. But sometimes, like that, whichever year that was, I always reference the West Virginia Baylor game uh, from like 2012 or whatever. Where at some point you just you we all turn into Chris Spielman. We're like, oh come on, there wasn't a defender on that side of the field, you know. And this was this was pushing it in that regard. Um, I've said this multiple times on the show. I watched that game. I was down in Louisiana uh, in law stuff, but I watched that game. One of my wife's high school friends was like engagement party or I don't know, some junk. It never ends. Um, and uh, what this game was on in the background was a perfect way to consume this game. Perfect way. <laughs> I think it actually would have been a hell of a lot more frustrating if you sat down. Yes. As sort of a proper I college concur. football viewing experience, and and then it just starts zipping around. Whereas, like, if you have three beers in you, you're like, oh hell, like it just <laughs> every time, you, right? If you're just looking up and going, oh my god, they both scored again, yeah. and all that. But if you're actually watching it, yeah, you do start to get a little exasperated at some point. Number fourteen, Old Dominion, two two Old Dominion games in the top uh, twenty. Yeah. Way to go, Bill. Just about their only two wins of the year, pretty much. Uh, yeah, Old Dominion 49, Virginia Tech 35 from September 22nd. Um, this was the biggest point spread upset of 2018. So if you don't take anything from this game, take that. Yeah. Uh, number 13, uh, Bedlam. What else can you say? Yeah. And I... just as, just as inevitable and, and as appointment, just as much as uh, Okie State, Texas demands appointment well, viewing from a non-affiliated Big 12 viewer, so too does Bedlam. Well, it's funny because like our like we started to realize that one of us, I don't remember which, on, in our Espanish college football team wrote about how this is almost an overrated rivalry. Like it's going to be wacky and all that, but in the end, Oklahoma is going to win by double digits almost every single time. Uh, yeah. We still we still talk about the couple of times that OSU's won, like it's a huge deal, and they've even the rivalry where they just haven't. But you know, so so then we, we so we go into this game kind of with that attitude, like yeah, Oklahoma State's struggling. This isn't going to be much worth much of anything. And then OU's up two touchdowns in the second quarter. But the way it, the way OSU came back, it was almost so sudden. Like there was nothing. There was huh, this is interesting. I'm going to keep watching this game. It was just oh my god, OSU's about to take the lead <laughs> in the last minute because but they went for two and and very much did not get it. But um, like this, it just kind of they sneaked up. They let it was like a rope a dope thing. OU led almost the entire way, and then at the end, OSU's like, "Hello, still here," and and almost pulled it off. That was the one time all year that OSU lost to a top forty team. Uh, they they went like whatever it was four and one against top forty teams this year, and uh, very much less than four one four and one against everybody else. Killed my damn murder smurfs. Remember that was gonna yes. be a thing. That oh was gonna be a thing. That was we were, we were gonna make sure. Sh- well, we don't make shirts. I don't even know how to make shirts. But if we could make shirts, we were gonna make murder. We should have made. Shirts. Yeah, we should have. Um, and then it no, died. Number twelve. Uh, one of my favorite games in the year. Um, maybe just because that. When you see a horrible, questionable <laughs> game losing thing happen, and you don't have a partisan interest, it, it's. Uh, I don't know. It's it's fun to stare at the car wreck. Uh, well, and, and having having James Franklin do the whole "We need to be elite." That was kind of obviously a lot happened after that game, but that was in Ohio the State twenty seven, Penn State twenty six. That was from a big deal. Late in September, this was an absolute mess. Um, I don't know if you need to say anything else about the game. It's just zone read on fourth and five. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number eleven, September twenty second. Uh, a game that probably again got lost in the wash. Yeah. Um, Stanford thirty-eight, Oregon thirty-one. <laughs> At the time, this one was this was the Oregon is back moment right here because we thought Stanford was really good instead of just good. 
Yeah. Um, and Oregon was undefeated, and Oregon was up, and this was a moment. This was a statement. They're still involved in the Pac-12 title race. And then, oh, my God, why are you – no, 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 don't st- don't reach the ball out for the first down line. Just don't – oh. And then, yeah, poor C.J. Verdell. He ended up redeeming himself later in the year. He had a good year, but that, that, moment, was, that moment was rough. Number 10, a game I wrote about, uh, LSU 22, Auburn 21. I watched this in an airport in Florida as I was going on assignment somewhere else. Hey, um, you, you, you used the word narrative right there in the write-up. The word of the day. Well, yeah, because LSU-Auburn, <laughs> much like, yeah, uh, you know, I don't know if it's as fun and as casually appealing as watching, like, Oklahoma State inevitably score 45 points and destroy whatever Texas has going in terms of national narrative. Like, that's fun and easy and accessible, unless you're a Texas fan. Um, if you are living in the SEC footprint or have SEC investment, LSU-Auburn is... Uh, you know, you can't miss it. it. It has been like this for years. That's what I wrote about. You know, it used to be the game um, when it was Tubbs and it was... Oh, oh man. Sorry. Mute, mute, sources. mute. Oh. Man, even in January sources. Um, late January. Uh, when, you know, it was Tubbs and Saban and it was determining the West and and th- those games were epic. Those games, for some reason, don't live on the way we talk about Tennessee, Florida in the 90s, but LSU-Auburn was just yep. insane, man. Um, and and to, mind, the youth, this is, to the youths listening, Alabama wasn't always this. <laughs> well, this is what I, so what I was about to say was if you need to understand why this game was so important, Nick Saban was at LSU one, and Auburn was running a six game win streak against Alabama. Like it was a different time. Uh, so now this game takes a step back in terms of prominence, obviously because of Nick Saban and Alabama, but also um, it's it's increased its quotient of of madness. Um, people desperate to get le- rid of Les Miles. Now people seemingly desperate to get rid of Gus Malzahn, seemingly desperate to get rid of Ed Orgeron. Um, these are the two unseated would-be heirs to the throne in the West. And they, you know, kind of what I talked about with Jimbo and A&M, it all wraps into this. Um, there's a There is a certain inevitable madness that occurs at these two programs during the Saban era at Alabama when they lose more than two games in a season because they're just thrown into a total identity crisis. So right now the pendulum has swung back to Auburn. Of course, obviously a couple years ago, you know, this was the game they used to fire less miles. I was yeah. sitting in the PAC 12 command center, the officiating center where they do the internal reviews. And that's how I watched the, the miles thing go down. Found out he was fired when I was on the tarmac at SFO the next day. Like this, uh, this game breeds madness. And 10 of the last 15 games have been decided by a touchdown or less. So now, it's usually... to this point, this year, Cole Tracy, um, awesome, awesome moment, cool. But more importantly, his parents built a bar in their house. And I don't mean like, oh, we have <laughs> a little area where we display our till... booze. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not talking about like, oh, we have a liquor cabinet or, you know, here's my one good bottle of whiskey. I was like, no, they have a bar, like a proper bar. They could hire a bouncer and get a liquor license from the state, I guess. And, and they kept showing live shots. And I was like, dude, we got to hang out at Cole's house. Parents are cool. Um, that is, by yeah. the way, the, the whole grad transfer thing, I understand there's, for, you know, free agency and, and all that. And I understand it really, it trickles up. So it helps the power, the, the powerful teams more than it helps anybody else. And that stinks. I understand. But the, the ability for a Cole Tracy to be, to become a name, after like when he commits to it, he, he goes to Assumption College. He probably enjoys himself just fine, but then he senses an opportunity and he gets to go become not an LSU legend by any means, but somebody LSU fans remember. That's pretty damn cool. 
Number nine. Clemson 27, Syracuse 23. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's going to be a game. It's going to happen again. It was all going to happen again. It's just going to unravel. Then the Christ child of white quarterback names. Chase. Chase Bryce. Bryce. Double the 80s ski movie villain. <laughs> Chase Bryce. That's a name that Brett Easton Ellis wouldn't use. Man, by the way, there were a lot of 1980s ski movies. Like That was that was a genre. Yeah, totally. I, Skiing I, was very popular. It was, it was the neon was so popular, and everyone wore like neon. <laughs> I can't ski. I hate skiing, but oh, God, no. yeah, they're, they're funny. Um, yeah, you know what happened there. He came in on the national title. Uh, with, with help from uh, a certain running back who was pretty good, but yes. Number eight, Ohio State 52, Maryland 51. <sighs> Explain yourself. I mean, do I need to? I almost need to explain why it's not higher. Like, it, like that was probably this was a this is a list full of sports tragedy, like, and I have to make sure to include the word sports there. But like the Virginia Virginia Tech game and the well, really kind of the Alabama Georgia game, depending on you know which perspective you're looking at. But Ohio State Maryland Maryland has a shot to beat Ohio State, beat a top 10 Ohio State with the interim quarter, with the interim coach, with everything that's gone on all season. Uh, and they, uh, the quarterback just misses an open two-point conversion pass. Like that, that was the kind of the cruelest moment. And then by the way, you know, eight days later, everybody's complaining that Ohio State's not a top four team and in the playoff conversation, which, yeah, screw you. Like I, <laughs> I remember this game too. Uh, nobody thought this before they beat Michigan, but uh, it, it really was just uh, it was brutal. It was a really, really tough game. It was it was a really, really interesting back and forth, crazy game. I can't believe Maryland's still involved. Can't believe Maryland's still ahead. I can't believe Maryland's gonna win this thing. And he just missed. He just threw the worst pass of his life and just missed the two point conversion pass. Number seven, your Big Ten West Division champions, uh, Northwestern thirty four, Nebraska thirty one. Um, <laughs> why this one? Why? Why not? Like this was nuts. Northwestern, the team that couldn't score, was down twenty-eight fourteen with like two minutes left, and uh, <laughs> this was one of those like Northwestern was winning all the close games. Akron aside, was winning all the close games, uh, and Nebraska was still figuring out a way to lose all the close games. And this was just like science taking over. It's like nope, 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 nope. Northwestern has to win this game, so um, I'm going to make these eight things happen in short succession, and Nebraska's going to fall apart. Uh, but that was a nutty game to watch. That was a really, really fun game. Could make the could make the case that Ohio State Maryland was better. It was better. It was certainly more important. But this was just nutty all the way around. Don't worry about it, Nebraska. Doesn't matter. Yeah, no, it's, it's you're gonna be fine. Uh, by the yeah. way, we've been talking all year about how no, they're fine. They're fine. They're gonna be fine. And then suddenly they end up, they, the national title odds come out for 2019, and they have the same odds as like as Texas and uh, like Auburn or LSU or something like that. Which what the hell? Perfect. We don't have no, to perfect. do this. We don't. Florida. Florida was the SEC team. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. To one. We don't have to. We don't have to go down this road. And suddenly they went straight from hapless to overhyped in like a whoa, 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 No, I was only being nice to Nebraska fans so they could get back on their feet being crazy. I'm not interested in reason here. No, I, I think I, I I legitimately think they're Get ready because be it's coming. And it's now coming. I have to call them overrated. I have to go straight from saying they're fine. They're fine. Everything's looking good. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> but that's that's Nebraska. Yeah, we just wanted to pick you up off the ground so we can knock you down again. Number six, it's Red River. Um, 
Yeah, okay, so we've talked about this game before and the kick <laughs> at the end and the fact that Texas kind of screwed the pooch and, and just disappeared on defense, allowed OU to come back. This game should have been a blowout. This really should have been the Texas is back, 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 super back deal, but it wasn't. Um, what I would instead like to talk about is I feel like this game produces more crowd reaction gifts that live <laughs> on longer. I oh, think yes. we're living in a society now where you have to be prepared that you could become internet famous at any time if you go to a major sporting event. Yes. And so many people seem to not be ready for that moment. <laughs> yep. Number five, West what? Virginia. One, two, hold on. One, two, three, four, five, five straight games. So OU has been definitively better than Texas for most of the last, well, decade really, but especially half decade. Every single game in the last five years has come down to like five or fewer points. It's always crazy, and or a seven or fewer points, I guess. It's always weird. It's always crazy. This is this really does this lives up to the rivalry hype in a way that Bedlam doesn't always actually do, but whew, it's good. Charlie Strong was always very good at coaching this game. Yeah, um, okay, and Mac Brown five. at the end of the Mac Brown yeah. days, he was too. Yeah, he was really bad there though for a while. I'll tell you that. Uh, number five, West Virginia forty-two, Texas forty-one. Um, Horns down. This is what this is the one that actually gets lost in the wash with me when you start do, talking about all the all the crazy Big Twelve games. This is the one I I have trouble pulling individual memories from. I think maybe was I was I doing that weekend? <laughs> I watched the end of this. I don't know. It just it's a little blurrier than the others. So sell me. I I mean this was the birth of horns down. Uh, that be- you know, this was the game where that actually became a thing, where the Big Twelve seemingly went out of its way to to make sure people weren't hurting Texas's feelings, um, and that re- resulted in like you know every OU recruit now like when they sign or when they commit they they produce the horns down, um, and it became a thing the rest of the year. Just so stupid, so stupid, and it's fun. It didn't even have anything to do with Texas. It had to do with the refs making it a thing. But that was where this started. West Virginia had like a, at a key moment got penalized because David Sills horns downed uh, on his way to the end zone. So they had all this. You had a huge back-and-forth game, and then you just had this like a perfect moment of uh, another game where it was decided by a two-point conversion in the, in the final moments, and, and Will Greer stepping in, uh, walking into the end zone on the two-point conversion, and Dana celebrating. Uh, that was just a perfect kind of that, – that, that might have been, been the peak, uh, post-Geno Smith at least, peak of the Dana Holgorsen area in, uh, in West Virginia. Just a very Dana moment and a very fun game. Yeah, and the the lasting result of that game is that now the head coach of the University of Houston gets to run around telling recruits that he beat Texas. Yeah. Number four. We already talked about it, so we won't linger on it too much. Clemson 28, A&M 26 back in week two. Narrative, 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 narrative. Yeah, narrative. penalized only by the fact that it didn't really seem like a, just an – like we, we all assumed Clemson was going to win until the fourth quarter and then started to doubt that severely. Number three. My pick for game of the year, <laughs> Oklahoma 28, Army 21. Um, we all remember watching it because this one guy streamed it from his living room. I was about to say, this was the game where, where half of the college football watching country went, what is Twitch? Fifty four ninety nine was the pay-per-view price for this. That is ridiculous that uh, we have to deal with this kind of crap in, in 2018, yeah. 2019 with, ugh, pay the players, you assholes. Um, hell of a game. <laughs> Hell of a game. 
You don't really want to get into overtime when Oklahoma is that much more talented than you on offense, but damn, Army. But when you're Army, you also don't want to go to overtime with Army because they can grind out 25-minute, 25 25-yard 25 drives for eternity. Uh, they obviously did not, but that was – obviously this was before they lost to Texas and, and all those other things, obviously, but this was a um, – this this had national title. It felt like it had national title implications, and you could just when you get armied or navied, I should say, uh, when you get optioned, you can tell early or pretty early, like oh, this is we're we've fallen into their trap. This is their game. We're playing their game, and I don't know how to get out of it. And so as it went on, Army's still hanging around, and then that Twitch uh, viewer count starts to creep upward, and Army ties it. And OU turns the ball over twice in the red zone, if I remember correctly. Um, just the slow build of that game where you're halfway through the fourth quarter and everybody on Twitter is like, how do I how do I find this? Where is this on my television? And we all end up on the same Twitch stream. Uh, number two, we already talked about it in Alabama-Georgia, the SEC championship game. You guys actually had to throw in that last line in the, par- in the parenthetical about, oh, and the Jalen Hurts thing was cool because I was so fixated on the Georgia side of this. <laughs> and then no- number one is A&M and LSU. Um, Beal. Yeah. Questions. Yeah. Let's go. Let's start with Reddit this time. Okay. Um, you were getting a lot of very specific requests for numbers <laughs> that I might I might just start answering with just throwing a number on there and just seeing how long people will. Yeah. Yeah. Take that. Um. Okay. How about we'll start with a, an easy one? BBJD seven asks seven and six, but four and one versus top thirty teams. Six games in the top one hundred. Please discuss why this means Oklahoma State is still holding on to the most exciting college football team crown. Um, I don't really need to explain it. They that pretty much did it for me. They were schizophrenic. They still believe they are still a Mike Gundy team. They still believe they can beat anybody, and they show it a lot, and then they fall asleep, <laughs> which is also becoming becoming kind of a Mike Gundy trait. Honestly, the lost a. Lost to Iowa State at home, got crushed by Texas Tech at home, got crushed by a bad Kansas State on the road. Uh, and, oh, yeah, beat Texas, beat West Virginia, beat Missouri, almost beat Oklahoma. Um, they're, they're, they're capable of a whole hell of a lot, and I hope we, I, I hope we do see a couple times where they can avoid those trip-ups uh, and, and those just fall-asleep moments because it's, it's really fun when Oklahoma State's involved in like the national title race in mid to late November. Uh, Workman 451, Matt Rule went from 6 to 10 wins in his third year at Temple. Do you foresee similar improvement in his third year at Baylor, provided he is still a head coach? Uh, Workman asked this amidst the rumors of him going right. to the Jets. Which, by the way, one more time, guys. The New York Jets wanted to dictate your coaching staff, and so you were like, I'm good. I'm going to stay at Baylor. Um, just 6 to 10 win jump? Uh, no. Well, no, because when, you, when you're comparing those um, – I like Matt Rule, so I'm, I don't want to use these comparisons, but a lot of the coaches that got fat and rich off of success in the old Big East and never really saw it translate in the P5, um, kind of a similar situation there. Well, they what, were you're able to, what you're able to do with the wiggle room at Temple with the AAC is a little bit different than yeah. what you're able to do in the Big 12. That's the shortest answer. However... <laughs> uh, Further improvement, are, absolutely. Yes, we are, uh, you know... I would say um, – I want to choose my words carefully, not fans of. But um, I think the Matt Rule-Baylor thing was inspired. It was smart. It was a really smart of a rule to get that damn contract. Get your money. Um, but 
it was a it was a really odd fit that worked, and yeah. we like those at PAPN. So um, I expect marginal, uh, steady increase. I don't know what the ceiling is. I don't know how long they'll consistently compete. I, I really don't. Um, if their you, out by of the conference way, schedule next year is Stephen F. Austin, UTSA, yes. and Rice. Yeah. So that helps. Yeah. No. If you're an optimistic Baylor fan and you're looking at next week, next year's schedule, you're. It's not hard. Again, this is the optimistic, but if you put on, if I think like a Baylor fan right now, Stephen F. Austin win, UTSA win, at Rice win, Iowa State at home win, at Kansas State, hey, they were they were rebuilding, that's a win. Texas Tech at home, that's a win. At Oklahoma State, well, we beat them last year, but maybe. Uh, West Virginia at home, hey, they're, rest- they're starting over, that's a win. At TCU, well, they kind of stunk last year, it's a, that's a maybe win. Oklahoma at home, Texas at home, Kansas stinks. Like, if you're an optimistic Baylor fan, you get to 10 wins pretty easily. Um, obviously, every every fan base has too much optimism for the most part, aside from, like, two. So, you know, 10-2 and two is still a reach, but there there are almost no sure losses on that schedule. So if they really do what most of their defense is back, their backfield is back, like, it's not hard to talk yourself into them having a pretty good year this year, or this coming season. I think they will. I think they'll have a pretty good year this year, and I think they'll um... – you know, I just I competing for the conference. I don't know. I really don't know. Um, we didn't look, man. We didn't even really know what the consistency would be when Bryles was at his peak. So, right. Um, that's nothing against Matt Rule, but I do think they're going to have a better year than they did last year. And I do think I'm going to avoid saying things like the right way and <laughs> you know, uh, winning with class or no. He's just doing it different. And, and kudos, he, kudos to him. He's, as well. He is having to lay down a foundation on top of a pile of shit. So. <laughs> Kudos to him as well for basically – well, first of all, I guess he used the term – when he was talking about it on the radio, he used the term arranged marriage, which is kind of perfect to talk about the Jets situation. But kudos to him for not getting starry-eyed and saying, ooh, NFL head coaching opportunity. Absolutely. But whatever you need, I'll, I'll say yes. And saying, wait, you, you, you want me, but you don't trust me to hire my own assistants? That feels weird, and I don't think I'm going to do it. So power to him for, for backing out of that situation. It can only benefit Baylor. Impulse um, decider. Okay. Is there a current? Is uh, that's the name of the person? Is yes, uh, is there any team currently that could benefit from going independent? Now, this is answered in the subreddit by another user, Nicholas one two two seven. He says UCF, Houston, and Boise are probably the only ones. I disagree with you, Nicholas. Um, those are the schools that probably should move up if there's a P5 expansion. And well, sure, a big difference but I between think those two things. I assume Nicholas's uh, thought there is that there won't be a P5 expansion, so their only hope is to go independent. But Yeah, but if you go independent, it um, you have to negotiate your first and third party rights uh, independently. And ask BYU how well that goes. I would if say BYU Houston... can't do that, I mean, the only team that can do that is Notre Dame. That's why you don't do it. I would say Houston just because of how not hard it would be to schedule opponent uh, to get some decent opponents on the schedule uh, in Houston. It's um, harder than you think, my man. Sure, but I think they're the only ones that could even remotely pull it off, and I don't think they're going to try it, nor should they. But I just of that list, Boise's Boise is too remote. UCF, eh, sure, maybe whatever, but they're probably UCF and Houston are probably best. Sitting this out for a little while, hoping the playoff goes to eight teams and fighting for one of those playoff bids every year. Boy, want to bring this up real fast. want to bring this up real fast. We talked about uh, coaches who get hot starts and energize rosters that aren't theirs. Mm-hmm. Dana Holgerson's <laughs> Houston team gets the full AAC slate, which you know UCF, you can stretch that into national attention. 
plus games against Wazoo and Houston, and then they open at OU. There yeah. is potential in that resume to make a lot of noise. Just figure out how to stop Jalen Hurts, apparently. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The transfer quarterback of the year. That does um, suck. Rakarai, I guess. R-A-K-A-R-E-I on Reddit. How should fans go about evaluating their team's strength and conditioning staff? It's currently being reported that USC's S&C coach Ivan Lewis is going to the Seahawks. This move is making USC Twitter pretty happy due to the perception that Lewis is a bad strength coach and poor condition is responsible for USC having bad injury luck in 2017 and 18. Before he was at USC, Lewis was strength coach at Washington, and some UW fans who I've talked to on Reddit also think Lewis is a bad strength coach due to their teams having lots of injuries when he was there. Are USC and UW fans correct in their assumption that high amounts of injuries falls on the S&C staff? If not, how should one evaluate their team's strength and conditioning? Is it even possible for fans to meaningfully judge that aspect of their team? That, that, to answer that last question first, no. It is not. It just isn't. I would love to. I've had like different kind of thoughts in my head for how to, to how to write a play a, a, a player development piece forever, and it's so freaking hard. Um, I know, like one of the um, what was I? Oh, I was listening. To, uh, my friend Ed Feng has a, a sport a football analytics podcast, and uh, he had Dave Bartu, the um, coach effect guy um cfp matrix on twitter i believe and and bar two i think he's he's consulted with teams here and there and basically the only way he's done from a development standpoint the only the one of the only ways i believe he's figured out how to get anywhere with quote-unquote development is just basically how much weight have you added um yeah, and that's something but basically like the injury stuff there there's so much luck involved there and, and i think we all know this and we just we have to figure out like there has to be a reason that we can fix this problem you know so we blame it on somebody but like, unless it's the same injury, unless it's a lot of muscle things, unless it's like there's some sort of repetitive thing about it, like an ACL tear here and a collar, a, a shoulder injury here and a broken ankle here, and you know all like, how how do you tie that together and blame it on one guy? It's you. It's the sport's fault. It's a really physical sport, and most of the time, there's only going to be so much this, a strength and conditioning guy can do about that. Um, this one's going to be tough. I'm going to try and be positive. You ready? Sure. Uh, Uno Pescado. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, Bill and Godfrey, please talk me off the ledge. I'm a Gamecock fan. Clemson, UGA, A&M, and Florida are on the schedule every year. And hey, Auburn, Bama, or LSU will be three out of six years. Is there any hope, or should I learn to stop worrying and love the six and six? Um, I'm thinking. I mean, look, you've won, <sighs> more than, you've won more than six games. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of the last ten years. I understand some of that included bowl wins, and otherwise it wouldn't have been more than six wins. But, I mean, it's here. I just want to. I just want to put this out there. Um, I did a package on rivalries, very straight up, kind of like week of, a little bit of parking lot zeitgeist, a little bit of behind the scenes. And I was hoping, because I got access at Clemson and didn't get access at Carolina, that I was going to go to this game and kind of center it around Taj Boyd. And uh, it was I did a series of rivalry games all in a week, or like a week and a, or two weeks. It was stupid because I wore myself out. And I saw in this timeline – 
South Carolina wins their fifth or sixth in a row over mm-hmm. Clemson. And on top of that, uh, kind of demoralized that base in the process as the not traditional football power yeah. uh, in the state of South Carolina. Then I have since seen Clemson win two national championships. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I feel you, Una Pescato. But I'm not exactly sure how to put this in a context that doesn't make it feel bad. No. Well, first of all, six you can always aspire for more than six and six. I mean, you should certainly look at bowl seasons as maybe like not a given and, and still a decent thing no matter what. But it's it is hard. Like sometimes your rival makes the perfect tire and you don't. And yeah, and Dabo's still pretty young. <laughs> so I get it. I understand why. It's a helpless situation right now when you've got, well, when you've got Georgia um, building its own Death Star, even if that Death Star has the same operational flaw in it that, you know, others did. Um, you've got your, your in-state rival doing what it's doing, and you're in a really hard division. I mean, that's, that's, uh, I, don't, I don't. It's really hard, isn't it? Bulls are still fun. Hard. Hey, look, bulls are still fun. And individual. Here's, what I, would, here's, here's I have a question. Why are y'all doing these neutral site games to open the season? Yeah. Why are you why are you adding that headache? You've got a you got a fun environment and you should try to Well, yeah, I mean, so they open with North Carolina, new coach, new roster, whatever. I get I'm not I'm not trying to make a prediction here. I'm just saying they open with North Carolina at, at the Panther Stadium in Charlotte. Why? Yeah, yeah they did like, NC State in 2017 too. Yeah, they they they've done that a lot. Just uh, if you guys want to do that, go to ESPN. This is what South Carolina used to do a lot. Go to go to ESPN and get like the Vanderbilt conference game moved to the Thursday night of the right. week. You want the <laughs> prestige and you want the attention? Do that. A game that's already on your schedule that's manageable. Because um, you've got North Carolina now, and then like two weeks later you have Alabama. <laughs> so like, don't add yourself that pain. Uh, I, I don't get that, but I, I, don't, I certainly don't think it's a money move. You're in the SEC, so. Um, I would start by giving yourself an extra win, man. Schedule some lower tier G five, or at They've least get Charleston a home and Southern home out of it. Yeah, I mean they got Charleston Southern on the schedule, so yeah, they've got who else is the scrub? They've got no. This is not good, guys. You're not doing this the right way. Uh, <laughs> it, it, in between Vanderbilt and A and M, you have App. app. Oh God, don't, don't do that. Bad, <laughs> wrong. Yeah, either this hire a name. They, God. Yeah, either, either schedule a name or schedule a, a, a scrub you're going to actually beat. Yeah. And they could, I they mean, App State might not be as good anymore. We'll see. But uh, you didn't know that when you scheduled that game. By the way, next year's a two bye week season. It's the way it should always be. Yeah. Um, but so they have a bye the 5th of October and a bye on <laughs> Saturday, the 23rd of November. Really weird bye there. So they get two. Oh, that's, yeah. They have, their, they have their scrub get, game and then a bye and then Clemson two weeks to prepare for no they don't it's even weirder bill they have two weeks to prepare for clemson so this is the this is the the teeth of the schedule the damn thing which doesn't include alabama okay so you've already definitely lost alabama and lord knows what else you've done but the gut of your season is at georgia home for florida at tennessee vanderbilt at home app at home at a&m then a bye then the national champions oh by the way you played the team that beat the national champions on in september Shit, schedule Oklahoma. What are y'all doing? Come on now. 
gosh. Yeah, no, seriously, either. Yeah, e- this is either. like the West Virginia thing that when we, when Neil Brown right. got hired, and I almost I did ta- I did text with him or we DM'd or whatever, and we were just talking. But like, I almost was like, hey, uh, congrats on the job. I know you got passed over for a lot of stuff. Da, da, da. I'm about to be like, Neil, have you looked at that schedule? <laughs> I didn't say it. I wanted to. Yeah, this again, is not as dumb as the West Virginia future schedule. No, this but, is not smart. No, again, home and home or winnable scrub game. But what is you doing? So Uno Pescado to if, circle back as we are about to wrap up this show. Um, they are recruiting pretty well. Um, they have a brutal schedule. They have a brutal landscape in terms of talent acquisition, and the East is not a joke anymore. Um. Uh, thanks really do in part, I think, to me being wrong about Florida's ability to get good fast. And so um, it's going to be hard. It's always going to be hard as long as South Carolina is in the Southeastern Conference. It's always going to be hard for Missouri. It's always going to be hard for the Mississippis. It's always going to be hard at these schools. It is never not hard. I will give you an example. How many games did Kentucky win this year, Bill? A lot, ten, nine, nine ten. right? Yeah, ten. I ten, think. I think, with the bowl. They beat Penn State. What a damn year, right? They are not feeling good. They are worried because you get these moments of shine, and then you regress fast, and, and you regress in a very brutal and honest and way. Just, just you, you get exposed, and and, <laughs> and that's not because you are committing a crime. It's just because you are able to peek through for moments of time. And in Kentucky's case, you had a hell of a defense and you ran the ball really well and you ground you ground up some teams no, and won. You caught Florida at the right time. Da 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 da. And then the the nasty universe of the Southeastern, they adjust. And and you have to recruit your ass off all the time. And you get those windows occasionally and then you're expected to go back down to winning six or seven games again and sort of living in the abyss. And you will, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Man, you said that in such a foreboding way. I do I mean, will. I, I've been setting up rosters for 2019. and, and What is and, the – like right now, this is just sort of to make, I guess, South Carolina cold comfort, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like what is the win-loss expectancy right now for, for Kentucky? Six um, and a half? Let's see. One – I'm just glancing at the – obviously, I don't have projections ready yet, but one, two, three – four, five. Well, yeah, we'll say about – but we'll say there – we'll say the Vegas – over under for Kentucky's win total will be somewhere around six or six and a half next year. This is why we talk about the triple option. I bring everything back home, baby. Wow. Um, I'm not telling not telling South Carolina to go to the triple, so stop. What I am saying is this: when you get into these clogged, insanely talented, insanely competitive divisions inside of conferences that are the same, you know, in the Pac-12 North, we told Oregon State to go triple, not because it met it is we're trying to get a percentage of profits from some triple head coach getting the job. That'd be nice. We're saying that because when you look around and you can't find a way to distinguish yourself against a group of teams that have more natural advantages than you, you have to cut the field a little bit, right? So going back to the Army-Oklahoma game, the reason why it's important is not because of the final score or the fact that they were tied going into overtime. It's that they reduced possessions and they gave themselves a chance, as much of a chance as, as anybody could get with that amount of talent going against that Oklahoma program. If you are South Carolina, I'm not telling you to run the triple one more time. <laughs> what I'm telling you to do is find something that is unique and distinguishing. A long time ago, Texas Tech was a unique offense in the Big 12. Do you remember that, Bill? <laughs> Vaguely. That was a that was a unique thing that they did that not everyone else did. Find something that truly differentiates you. If you're if you're gonna lean into this must champ thing, go whole hog. 
you know, right. become the aggressive, violently physical defense that the SEC East cringes because they're going to go in and they know they're going to be beat up for two weeks. The whole body blow theory, right? right? Do that. Be that. Be the team that's going to run the ball as much as humanly possible. Or do something else. But but do not try where you will fail is trying to play like them. Right. Because you will not beat them. You, and, I mean, you can still you can play like them and go six and six or seven and five, yeah. But if yes. you want to, you know, if you want to go ten and two, or or just be a baseline eight and four team who has a shot a little bit more frequently, then you have to do something that's truly distinguished as at, at South Carolina. So Kentucky, by the way, since I pulled it up, I'm going to say it since I pulled up the information. Um, yeah, no Benny Snell, no Josh Allen, no Bunchy Stallings. Safety is Mike. Ed- uh, Safety is Mike Edwards and Darius West are gone. Derek Beatty's gone. Jordan Jones is gone. Um, there, this was the first guy. I think in my previews every year for Kentucky, I just wrote about how like Mark Stoops is a defensive coach who never had a good de- who's never had a good defense. He had a great defense this year, and most of the reasons for that are gone. And so now we really get to see next year how much of this is like. How much of this breakthrough this year was his culture and his attitude and his players developing and all that? And how much was Josh Allen being amazing and him having a lot of experience pieces around him? They do still have Lynn Bowden. Uh, Lynn Bowden should have been asked to do more on offense than he was. Uh, he's a terrifying – I mean, they don't beat Missouri without Lynn Bowden. I'll say that. Um, they still have uh, – Asim Rose was pretty go- a pretty good running back, obviously. They've still got things. Uh, they've still got talent here and there. But this is a huge test for his, quote-unquote, culture and how much of it was resp- – how much of it was due to him and how much of it was due to Josh Allen, Benny Snell, and specific pieces that are now not there. Uh, before we go, there are a couple of PAPNs we need to address just because they'll be really old soon, yeah. if that's all right. Okay. We'll go, let's go fast. Uh, number one, and I think we were. I think if I remember, we, we we very briefly mentioned this. I think last week's show, but we do need to address it. Uh, so last last uh, off season, our favorite game was Saban or, um, you know, blah blah oh, God, blah, yeah. blah 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 or Saban national titles, uh, remaining Saban national titles, and so it was kind of a fun vessel. Uh, I do not expect us to be riding that uh, game all off season. We'll have to find another one, but. We always uh, we got a few different people ask us like is our Saban or projection different now than we thought it was last year because uh, we always basically the... two and a half was basically what we always kind of in our heads what, that was kind of the over under was uh, two and a half national titles do we still think he has two and a half national titles left in him or have things changed or is it or are we going to turn it into Dabo or that was my favorite question. right yeah or Dabo or now because God I mean he is still young. Um, I'm not, I'm, I could see maybe changing it kind of in my head to two instead of two and a half. It's not going to change dramatically because he's still, now granted, he's apparently, you know, just going to try to go without a staff this year and do it all himself. Um, he, he has quite a few new assistants to hire or, or promote from his analyst team, I guess. But, uh. At, at worst, I'm going to shift it down to two. He still has more talent than anybody else does. I'm fine with that. I think, yeah, that's fine. Okay. Um, I'm gonna. I'm definitely going to defer to you on that stuff. Okay. Well, I mean, we both. That was kind of what made it interesting is we both ended up realizing we had the same thought in our head regarding about two and a half or so. Um, and then a question from our friend Nicholas. Nicholas began. Uh, on Twitter, it spelled how you think. 
Uh, my very elementary st- statistical knowledge says that a team down by two touchdowns late should go for two at the, after the first touchdown, as the authorities on f- football statistics and smart people stuff do you agree? Uh, by the way, congratulations. We are both authorities on um, smart people stuff. Um, so from a math standpoint, this is purely do you think you can make two-point conversions 50% of the time? Because if you can, then yes. Um, go for it when you're down 14 points. Or go for two when you're down 14 points. And and the the logic has... And I, this has become kind of a topic. I know people have talked about this a little bit here and there. Um, but the logic is pretty simple. If, you can, if you're going to make basically one out of every two, well, then if you miss the first one and you're down eight, your odds are pretty good. Like you'll probably... You still have, you know... The, the odds aren't great that you're going to miss two in a row, basically. So sure, you know, you, you got that going for you. Um, and if you make the first one, then an extra point wins the game, right? That's, um, it's kind of interesting. That is, that is far more terrifying to a coach than going forward on fourth to one. And as we've seen over the last 10 years, especially going forward on fourth down of any kind at any point of the game on any field position is still terrifying. This would be even more because you will get crucified if you lose a game because you went for two down 14 points, um, so I, I think that like the math works out, out there as long as you think you are at 50% of getting it. And I really don't think – I'm not completely sure two-point conversions in the college game from the three-yard line are 50%. I'd have to look into that. But uh, the math checks out, but that, that is even less likely to catch on than fourth downs. And fourth downs have been trying to catch on for 10 years. They might actually be catching on now, but they haven't yet. You good? Let's see. What else we got? I gotta call an agent back. So. Fine. Oh, I'm, I'm so important. I'm doing my job. Sort of. All right. Robot. <laughs> Next week. Uh, some of y'all got thrown off on Wednesday. Recording schedules Thursday off season. We yes. talked about this. Talked about this. Hit us up at hashtag AskPAPN. Uh, go to Reddit. R slash PAPN. Backslash? Forward slash? I don't know. Figure it out. Just Google the damn thing. No one backslashes anything anymore. Um, all right, Bill. I will see you next Thursday. I am so happy it's the off season. Let's enjoy it together. <laughs> Sounds good.